Mark 14, and we'll be going through verses 37 to verse 42. Mark 14 from 37 to 42, and I titled this message, Awake, You Sleepy Soldiers. Awake, You Sleepy Soldiers. Mark 14, verse 37, and it reads, And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. If you're born again, let me start by telling you an absolute and unnegotiable fact. You are a soldier in God's army. Whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not, or even accept it or not, those of us who are true and genuine Christians, Jesus has enlisted us into his military. And here's another unnegotiable fact. There is a war. That is at hand. And we're all fighting in this war. And there are three enemies, deadly enemies. The world with all that it offers. The demons with all their lies and deceptions. And the flesh with all of its passions and lustful desires. Three enemies. And there is war. And we are soldiers. And this truth is as real as even the chairs that we're sitting on. Yet tell this to a blinded and deceived world. And they won't hesitate to call us mad fanatics. Insane people. What war, they would say. You, you Christians, your brains need a major service. Relax. Take a chill, um, take a chill pill. Calm down. There's no war. That's sad. But do you know what is even worse? The greatest tragedy is that many Christians in churches, you take a look into their own lives. And you can't help but to conclude that they believe the world and what the world says rather than what the word of God says. And they live their lives as though there are no enemies to fight. There are, there are no battles to be won. They get on with their lives eating, drinking, playing games, accumulating possessions, and they waste their lives away with all kinds of amusements. And they're quite content to do only the bare minimum for God, just so that to clear their conscience. But of warfare? What's that? Wrestling with enemies? What are you talking about? Blood shed struggles until there is a breakthrough of a sinful habit? Agonizing because of some defeat? Victories to claim? Tragedy. There's nothing like that in their lives. 
These are what we call sleepy Christians. Indifferent to God's calling upon their lives. Good for nothing soldiers. And yet, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that the scripture cannot be any clearer about this subject. Please note the military language that the scripture speaks of as I read to you some references. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Again, therefore take up the full armor of God. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Finally, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. Brothers, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will, and when we give an account to all, all of us, we give an account to how we all lived our lives and receive our eternal rewards, God is not going to ask us, well, how much money do you have in your bank account? He's not going to say, well, how neat and tidy is your house? Did you pay your mortgage? Well done, good and faithful soldier. You paid your mortgage. Now, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. We know that. It's good. Go ahead and... Let us all pay our mortgage. That's good. But to give in to these things, to the detriment of being unfaithful, useless, sleepy soldiers in God's army, what good is it? The soldiers that will stand before God with combed hair, Iron shirts and their fingernails are cut. They will be the least in the kingdom of God. No, you know what God will, will say to us on that day? Show me the, wound, the wounds in your flesh, the scars in your lungs that you suffered for my sake. Show me the black bags under your eyes because of your sleepless nights. Because of your eagerness to expand my kingdom and preach the gospel. I want to see the drops of blood because of resistance to temptations. And the bullets in your bank accounts. The sacrifices you made for your unit and your comrades. Beloved. When our commander in chief comes back to take us home. When we hear this sound of trumpet and we all are caught up together with him in the clouds. Will he find the sleepy soldiers with our weapons covered with dust and our military uniform are nice and clean hung in their closets? Or will we see a smile in his face because we will be found faithful soldiers dying daily for our Lord Jesus' sake? So important to reflect and to consider. Because in today's story, we're going to go with back to the Garden of Gethsemane with our Lord and we'll find three sleepy soldiers. Peter. James and John. And just like Jesus wanted to wake them up from their sleep, so also he wants us to all to be awakened from any spiritual apathy that we have. Now to start off with, how did they become so apathetic as we're going to shortly look at? Well, so far we've seen that these disciples Disciples showed symptoms that they were infected with that terrible disease called self-confidence. They were the 
I got this kind of Christians. The, I don't need your help because I can do it on my own kind of Christians. And how could we tell that they were so self-confident? We looked at it. You remember, first, they were unteachable. They believed that they were right and Jesus and his words were wrong. Two, they were individualistic Christians. They are the kind of Christians that live in their own spiritual islands, in their own spiritual bubble, condemning other people who don't agree with them, and they think that they're better than everyone else. And number three, they were stubborn. That was two weeks ago. And last week we looked at Jesus, how he contrasted his life with their lives, and he did show us by actions how a man who has his confidence in God looks like. First, he was sympathetic, tender-hearted. He's full of grace towards these disciples. Second, he was a sacrificial servant. And third, he submitted himself entirely to the Father's will. And now Mark once again shifts the spotlight back and he places it squarely on his self-confident disciples. And he wants us all to see how self-confidence does indeed lead us to be sleepy soldiers, apathetic Christians. We pray as we begin to unfold the word of God that we would learn from these disciples' mistake so that we would not fall away as they did. Well, we start with the first point, the first encounter. There are only three encounters, one, two, three, where Jesus wakes up the disciples from their sleep. So it's a a low-hanging fruit for me. We'll have this as our outline, all right? The first encounter, second encounter, third encounter, where every encounter, Jesus wakes up the disciples. So verse 37, and it says, And he came and found them what? Sleeping. So after Jesus cried to the Father with his knees to the ground and tears and drops of blood crawling down of his face, wrestling with what he's about to endure, that is the wrath of God that will be poured out upon him in just a handful of hours. And he got up after he prayed and he walked a couple of steps back. He looked down on the ground and what did he find? Three fully grown adults, Peter, James, and John, lying there and they're snoring their lungs off. What in the world? Sleeping? Didn't he forewarn them that there will be a strong storm of trial blowing their direction? Did he not command them to keep watch as it, as it says, I believe in verse 34? So what did Jesus do? Well, he graciously approached Peter and it says there, and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Well, what, what's going on? Well, the disciples at that time, they had a long day. That they've been exhausted from traveling to Jerusalem and um, eating a roasted lamb, walking roads, climbing mountains. It must have been a hectic day for them. But Luke explains and he gives us a different reason as to why they fell asleep. In Luke 22 verse 45, it tells us that Jesus found them sleeping from sorrow. John 16 verse 6 tells us that sorrow has filled their hearts. Sorrow, that is grief, pain. They knew that Jesus' death is at hand. And Jesus just confronted them that they're going to fall away. And so they were troubled. But being troubled is not good enough excuse to doze off, especially when Jesus just commanded them 
to keep watch. And Jesus with all long suffering he singled out Peter and he gave him these two rhetorical questions. First question, Simon, are you asleep? Well, of course he's asleep. Second question, could you not keep watch for one hour? No, he could not. What does Jesus, what does he mean by asking his questions? It's like Jesus is saying, Simon, I thought you got this. I thought you vowed like in verse 31, even if you have to die with me, you will not deny me. How can you be so confident that you will not deny me if you can't even pray with me? Besides, where are you going to get your strength from if you're going to fall asleep? What happened, soldier? You see, to be sleepy is a reflection of Peter's spiritual condition. It is as though that Jesus is saying to Simon, Simon, where is your zeal that you had two minutes ago? Where is your eagerness to win the war? What happened to the passion that you claimed to have for me? Peter, where is your fire? Where is your endurance? To be with me. What kind of sluggish soldier that sleeps when his enemies is at hand? Just because you're feeling bad? How can you let your feeling dictate the decisions that you make? See, brothers, what do we learn from this? We learn that uh, I got this kind of Christians are in fact sleepy soldiers. When we think that we have the strength to fight our spiritual warfare and then when we feel sorrowful, anything that upsets us, any negative bad feelings that we have, we get overwhelmed. Reality hits. And this sorrow we discover is way too bigger for us that we could handle. So, what do we do? Self-confidence makes us give up so quick. We lay down our swords. We doze off into despair. To be spiritually asleep means to give in to apathy. How come? You see, self-confident people have Low view of God and high view of themselves. And so rather than praying, which is an expression of our confidence in God in order to draw strength from God, since they have low view of God, self-confident Christians say, well, I can't handle this sorrow quickly. Where is my movie? I want my food. How can I get more money or another video game to play? Anything to put a band-aid on my wounded soul. I need to numb my sorrow. And you see, they run to the world. They don't run to God. They run to the world. And then they use whatever the world entices them with as a means to run away from dealing with the sorrow they have biblically. And Jesus comes back. And he finds them sleepy soldiers, sucked into all kinds of worldly pleasures. Brothers, the force of this text compels us to examine ourselves. Are we sleepy soldiers? What do we do when we are sorrowful? Do we throw ourselves before God to receive from Him the strength we need? The endurance we need? Or do we run into the world's bosom and fill our minds with endless and vain pursuits? 
What do we do, brothers and sisters? Is there apathy in us? Well, what should we say to these sleepy Christians? What should we say? How do we exhort them? Well, we don't have to try hard to figure it out. We'll just read the text. We'll read verse 38. We'll see how Jesus dealt with them. Verse 38, he says, Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. Watch and pray, Jesus says. These are the two legs that any warrior in God's army stands upon. Keep watching, meaning be on alert, stay awake, get ready, keep your eyes wide open, never let your eyelids slumber. Why? He tells you why. That you may not come into temptation. Be vigilant or else you will step into a landmine, soldier. You close your eyes for one moment and you will fall into the enemy's trap. Don't do it. So what do you do? you got to keep watching. Now, please note the verbs that are used here. It is not watch and pray. No, the verbs here are present imperative, meaning keep on watching, keep on praying. You've got to keep awake all the time. Never let your soul go to sleep. Get an ivy hook of caffeine and put it straight into your, your brain cells. We've got to be alert all the time. Our index finger on the trigger, always ready. Is this thought going to kill my brother whom God commanded me to love? Then shoot this thought down immediately. Is this movie going to rob me from my love for my Savior? Does my brother need help and I kind of feel lazy to sacrifice my time and serve my brother? Well, in the name of God, pull the trigger, soldier. Put a bullet in this laziness head. Keep watching. One eye watching. And what does the other eye do? Keep praying. On your knees, you go down, soldier, and pray. Roll up your sleeves and wrestle with God. Say, oh, God. The enemy's tanks are huge. The Bible says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He's thirsty for blood. His, his teeth are sharper than I could handle. I'm not a match to his attacks, God. Reload your ammunition from God. He said to God, God, if... If I would have any hope to combat this temptation that is around the corner, I desperately need your strength. I need your ammunitions, not my own. What does that mean? God, put fervent love in my heart for you. Fill my eyes with the blood that was shed for me so at the time of temptation, I would be gracious to my brother just the same way that you're gracious to me. Wrestle with God. Keep watching. Keep praying. Or else you're not going to do well in temptation. These disciples were apathetic. Right? The commander-in-chief he forewarned them that there will be an ambush of the enemy and they did feel troubled. But then what did they do? Rather than getting ready for battle, they took a sleeping pill and they slept off their trouble. Sad. How foolish. But Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. Meaning, yes, they were Christians. Their hearts were regenerated. God did give them a new heart that loves Jesus. 
And with this new heart, they were willing to place their confidence in God, to keep watching and keep praying and be holy. They wanted that. But what was the problem? The flesh is weak. What does that mean, the flesh is weak? Jesus did not mean here, he wasn't referring to the physical flesh that you could see and feel and touch. That was not what he was referring to. If he was referring to the physical flesh, Jesus physically at that point was weaker than anybody else could imagine. Nobody was tortured and physically beaten in their flesh like Jesus did. No one hungered and thirst. No one wept as Jesus wept. But this was not the physical flesh. This was the the unredeemed flesh, the realm where sin dwells in a believer. And if we read the Bible carefully, we find that there are tens of thousands of wicked and vile passions in our flesh. Self-confident people are blinded to the danger of this enemy. They're so blinded to see the depth of the wickedness that lives and roams in, in their flesh. Peter learned this mistake. Peter later on when he grew and he became more mature, he said in 1 Peter 2 verse 11, maybe, maybe if you can turn to this. I'd love for you to underline it if you could. If this was your Bible, underline it, highlight it. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. And we'll go back to, of course, the Gospel of Mark. 1 Peter 2.11, it says, Beloved, I urge you, meaning I beg you, I kneel before you and beseech you. I beg of you. What are you urging us for to do, Peter? To abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Peter is saying to abstain, meaning mortify your passions of of the flesh. Sever them. Crucify every last enemy. Leave no prisoners behind. Why? They wage war against your soul. If you don't kill them, they're waging war and they will kill you. Self-confident people, what do they say? They say, I don't have much evil passions in me that would require me to kill them. Come on. It's not that bad. Of course, everybody's a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I know my weakness, but it's not really that bad. That's why they never seek help. They never ring up and say, brother, can you help me with this? Because they undermine the threat of this enemy, their fleshly passions overtower and they drown every love, holy love, true love they have for their Savior. And they become apathetic, sleepy Christians, weak, lazy soldiers. That's the first encounter. We come to the second encounter. And Jesus still had his own battle. He hasn't finished yet with with wrestling. And verse 39, it says, again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. So back on his knees, he goes, drawing as much strength from the Father that he needs through prayer. And what a beautiful thing to see how wonderful, how affectionate Jesus is, brothers and sisters. Because while he's struggling, 
He had his own suffering and challenges. He still cared for his disciples. What a beautiful thing to see in the Lord Jesus, right? It wasn't just, oh man, I'm, I've got a big trial, the wrath of God, the full wrath of God I'm about to bear. And, and he's so caught up in that only. No, he still cares for people, for his disciples. And he comes after them. So in the midst of his agony, in verse 40, it says, And again he came and found them sleeping. Again he found them sleeping. The only endurance they had was the endurance of snoozing. The only thing that they could keep doing is to keep being asleep. It says, for their eyes were very heavy. They got drunk with so much apathy, so much indifference to our Lord's command that they gave him their cold shoulders, if you like. They simply didn't really care about Jesus or his warning. And when Jesus came back and it says that their eyes were very heavy and sure, surely um, Jesus spoke to them and most likely he asked them similar questions. Peter. James, John, you're still asleep? Wake up. Come on. Wake up, Peter. You can't watch with me for just an hour? Peter, James, John, where is your love that you claim you have for me? Don't don't you see my blood, my tears? Haven't you heard my cry? This was for you. Where is your gratitude? Where is your thankful heart? Where is your love for me? Where are your hearts? Where is your care for me? Where is their care? In their spirit. And it only remained in their spirit. Not in their actions. Not in their words. Nothing. How come? Because they allowed their care for the Savior to be drowned by their fleshly passions, perhaps laziness and comfort. And being so self-confident, as we said earlier, they were blinded to see their passions. They couldn't see it. And you can't fight an enemy that you cannot see. And he continues on and says, and they did not know what to answer him. Guilty as charged. They were caught in the act of sleeping when they were meant to be praying and watching. And so they didn't know how to respond back to him. Of course they couldn't. They were like little children that got caught with crumbs, cookie crumbs all over their faces. And you know what to say to him. Well, you come to the second time and they got caught red-handed and Jesus now challenging them for the second time. You, you would think that they would come to their senses, that they would learn from their mistake and repent from their apathy. And they would say, okay, Jesus, look, all right, enough is enough. We're going to start praying now. But what do, we, what do we see? Now we come to the third encounter. Verse 41, he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Are you still sleeping and resting? Jesus didn't know. He was asking them because he just wanted to find out because he lacked some knowledge. No, the answer is obvious. Yes, they are still sleeping, and yes, they are resting. They still didn't repent. They never changed their ways. Self-confident people always brush off their failures as though they're not a big deal. And even when they see their failures, even when they are confronted with their failures, they comfort themselves By saying, she'll be right, mate. She'll be right. 
just a little bit more of sleep, a little bit more of slumber, and I'll get down to business. And you ask a, a Christian, how come you're not involved? Where is your commitment to the Lord? Where is your commitment to his people? He would say, well, I got this. It's in the bag. I got it. Just give me 10 more weeks and I'll be available. Give him 10 more weeks. 10 more months. And even after 10 years pass by and they're still as useless as a rotten onion. And they may pray beautiful prayers. And I would say to Jesus, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you, Jesus. But unless they repent of their apathy and they take their walk with God seriously, all their promises are like empty eggshells, balloons full of air. That's all. And while sleepy soldiers, they take ease and they take comfort, they're actually bleeding sluggishness, slothfulness. And the devil, the world, and their own passions kill them a thousand deaths and shred them to bits. And they don't even realize it. In their dreams, they think that they are heroes of faith and they say, I got this. I worked out the biblical map on my own. It's in the bag. Yeah, bro. It's in the bag. But in their last day, and after they take the last breath, and when God wakes them up from their sleep, all the sleepy Christian will find that he accumulated is no more than worthless currency that he never exchanged for heavenly treasures. And as he stands before his maker, what would he say? God, I, I paid off my mortgage, God. God, I looked after my health. Look, look at my muscles. They're, they're defined. I, I, my cholesterol level is low, God. <laughs> Absolutely wasted life. What should we say to these people? As our hearts ought to ache for them. How should we counsel them? Well, again, we don't need to try to figure it out and be too clever. We just simply read the text. Read the text, brothers. Jesus says, it is enough. Enough. Enough playing games with the world like little children when you're meant to be my soldiers. It is enough. Awake. You are apathetic. Get up from your sleep. No more fluffing around with, this, with these games that you're playing with. This is a war zone here. Pick up your sword and fight. It is enough, Peter, James, John. Don't you understand what you do here on earth? How well you keep watching the enemy and praying dependingly upon God. What you do here on earth, don't you know it will impact you for eternity to come? It is enough. Jesus says, enough is enough. How come it's enough? Continues on and he says, the hour has come. What hour? Behold. Jesus says, look. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. So Jesus now is looking, he's in Gethsemane in the Mount of Olives, uh, 
and, and he's looking at the temple and he sees a mob coming down at um, Temple Mount. 600 soldiers led by Judas and the Sanhedrin members and they're coming down the Temple Mount to go to Gethsemane. Judas knows exactly where Jesus prays and they are coming after him to get him. So he says, look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. This is the hour of testing. The expected trial is at hand. It's temptation time. And, well, what are you going to do now, Peter? Because don't you understand the eternal, universal axiom? That what you sow before temptation is what you reap at the hour of temptation. I'm going to say it one more time. What you sow before temptation is what you reap at the hour of temptation. For Jesus, he sowed total dependence upon God, didn't he? He sowed zeal. Passion for God. He showed absolute commitment to do his father's will. Did he not? And what did he reap? Let's have a look at verse 42. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, oh, let us flee. Let us run away. Jesus did not cower away from his own death. What did he do? In all boldness, Jesus was saying to Peter and James and John and to the rest of the disciples as, they, as he was most likely waking the rest of them up, Let's go. Let's meet Judas. Let's say hi to this mob. <laughs> what fearlessness. What bravery. Joe MacArthur commented on this, and I couldn't say any better. So I just want to um, share with you what Joe MacArthur said. He says, the Lord exhibited no fear in the face of death. The cup of divine wrath was in his hand. But he was no longer trembling. Drops of blood, sweat, and tears were still visible on his brow, brow. Sorry, But when he issued the triumphant command to go out and meet the enemy, and instead of running away from the cross, Jesus moved toward it with settled confidence. Wow. That's bravery. Bravery. Who wouldn't want to be a faithful soldier for this commander-in-chief? Jesus led by example, didn't he? And he wants us to follow his footsteps. Well, as we come to the end of the message, I want to share with you, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to heaven cruising with ease. I don't want to be this apathetic Christian who wasted his life away. No. I want God to open my eyes to the depth of Jesus' love for me, and I want God to stamp in my heart the priceless value of this eternal weight of glory awaiting for me. I want God to put fire in my bones, love for him so much that I'll be totally sold out for Christ. So much that by God's grace, I want to go home. When I go to heaven and meet the Lord, I want to leave behind me the maximum damage I could inflict, inflict in hell. And even if it means for Jesus' sake, I'm bruised and I'm battered with my knees worn out and scars in my lungs. I want to hear from our Lord Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful soldier. 
And brothers, what I want for myself, I want for you all. I want for you all. I call upon all of us to fling away our self-confidence. I call upon you, brothers and sisters, to repent from any apathy that stunts your growth in God. I call upon us, all of us, to kindle afresh a renewed zeal to always fight this war for Jesus' sake. That for his sake, let us crucify our flesh with its passions so that they wouldn't drown our passion for our Savior. Let us fill our hearts with the love of the Father so that we would not be found loving the world nor the things of the world. Since we are not of this world. Let us strive, let us go hard in submitting to the Father. That our goal is to submit to Him the way Jesus submitted to His Father. Because that's the only way we could resist the devil. I pray that I would not be the only one, but all of us together, encouraging one another. To fight this battle until Christ calls us home. And there are unbelievers among us this morning. You are sleeping, but it's another kind of sleep. You're sleeping a sleep of death. You're sleeping in your grave. The scripture says, awake, you are asleep, and Christ will give you light. God calls you this morning to wake up from your deadness. You have fallen short before a holy God. God's is, God is angry with you. The wrath that was poured out upon Jesus, this wrath you will experience for eternity to come. Because you love your sleep so much. God is holy. God is perfect. And he demands nothing less than perfection. How are you going with that perfection? But yet God is so good. He is so kind that he wrapped himself in a human flesh, and he came in a form of man. He lived a perfect, obedient life to the Father, submitting to the Father as we have been talking about, even to the point of death, so that he would accumulate perfect righteousness in order to give it over to those who would believe in him. And on the cross as he was hung, all the sins that we have committed, that sinners have committed, were laid upon him. This sinless son of God has become sin for us. And as he carried our sins, God's wrath that was meant to fall upon sinners was poured out. Upon Jesus. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. And he ascended to the highest of heaven. The iron gates of heaven are now swung open. And there is a way to enter into heaven. Because Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He is now called the Prince of Life. Do you understand what it means? He is the Prince of Life. It means he has all authority to grant life to whom he chooses. And who does he choose? He chooses everyone that will come to him to have life. You come to him this morning. Not carrying your own strength by your own sin. 
And Jesus promises in his word that he will grant you life. That he will grant you forgiveness of sins. That he will change your hearts. That he will give you love for him. I urge you this morning, if you do not know this Savior, if you are sleeping the sleep of death in your grave, you are rottening sinner under God's wrath, deserving his judgment, I beg of you this morning to repent, to wake up to your senses, to come to the, self, the Savior of your souls, and he will give you life. Repent this morning in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord God, who of us today would, would say that he's as passionate for your kingdom to expand as your son was when he was here on earth? Who of us in his walk of life would not say that he fell into this trap of self-confidence and apathy started to grow in his life. Who of us would dare to say that there is no spiritual laziness in our lives? Or how we need to repent this morning, God. Or how we need to confess that we have broken your law, that we as Christians that there are many areas in our lives where we would find ourselves unfaithful soldiers. We threw away our swords and we picked up toys to play with. Lord, would you lead us to repentance? Would you open our eyes? Would you cause your people to come again and again to you, Lord God? with a repentant heart, willing to change, desiring nothing but your glory alone to rule and reign in our lives, to be the main goal of our lives, the reason why we live. Father, put in our hearts so much love for Jesus. Give us to want to be totally sold out to him. that whether we eat or drink, that we will live to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.